Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. The title of my message this morning is The Truth Is. So, John 8, 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now we don't have to look very far until we come across Christians who can seem to be living a very defeated Christian life. They can think things like, oh, I'm such a failure, or I'm no use to God, I don't know why he bothers with me. He wouldn't want to answer my prayers. Or I seem to keep coming back to God again and again, asking for forgiveness for the same thing. I can't face him again. I just want to hide from God. And this morning I want to look at whether these attitudes can be changed in people. Is it possible to live a life free from temptation, weakness, futility and spiritual inadequacy and if so how is it that we do that does faith in Jesus really mean that we can live free from fear depression low self-esteem and giving in to temptation many Christians want to live like that but they live in a world that's full of, of temptations and dilemmas and they feel inadequate or powerless to do so so this morning I want to look at some truths that can help us to live a victorious rather than a defeated Christian life. We've just read that Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So what truth is it that Jesus is referring to? Many believe that if they know the truth about their problem, they can be set free from that problem. And there is, especially in in the world, a ceaseless quest to understand why we are who we are and why we do what we do and it's thought that if we delve back deeply enough into the dark recesses of our mind or into our past that we'll be able to understand the nature of our problems and be set free people do such things don't they as hypnotherapy and reenacting the birth process (laughs) can't imagine what that looks like and the mind boggles um and, I, and whereas I do think that some um, modern psychological techniques do have some validity, they can't lead to the freedom that Jesus is talking of here. The, tr- the, the truth that Jesus is referring to here is firstly the truth of who God is, secondly the truth of what he has done for us, and the third truth is who we are as a result of what Jesus has done for us. And that's basically really what I want to focus on this morning, is who we are as a result of what Jesus has done. 
And it is only this truth that will set us free. And not only free in that moment, but free to go on to live as children, who are, children of God who can live in the freedom of being, of being Christ, belonging to Christ. So two very important ways that we become free is firstly by knowing the word of God, of having the word preached to us, but also knowing it for ourselves. And the second and a very important truth, a very important way of knowing the truth is by having the Holy Spirit reveal that truth to us. And um, sometimes people will make an appointment with Peter and they'll say, oh, I've got this problem. Please will you pray for me to be free from this problem? And Peter will sit down with them and, and take longer than he would have done to pray them free because he wants to actually teach them free. He wants them to understand who they are in Christ. And, you know, different problems have different truths that need to be spoken. But he wants them to go away free themselves rather than have to come back in two weeks or so to be prayed for again. <clears throat> so if, he, if, he, if they believe that truth, then they'll be able to be true free for themselves and of course there are many many truths and revelations that we have to have as christians but this morning i want to consider three three that have been very important in my life and it's my prayer that the the truth of the word this morning and the power of the holy spirit that is here in in the in this room in the atmosphere you know god is here by his spirit and i believe that he will move upon you i just ask you to open your hearts to the truth of the word this morning and we believe i believe that some of us will be set free into a new freedom today in christ some of these um points these truths that i'm going to bring this morning you might you may think that they're very basic but it's been my experience as a christian and also in pastoral care that some of these truths even though we know them we don't really know we don't know them in our hearts and in our spirits for ourselves so my first truth this morning is that sin is serious to become a christian we first must understand that jesus died in our place on the cross because we are sinners paul wrote in romans 5 verse 8 god demonstrated his love for us in this that while we were still sinners christ died for us and we know we do know we have to come to a place where we know that we've done things that are wrong god gave us a set of commandments to live by the ten commandments and we all and we've all broken them and because of that there had to be a punishment one of the youth group recently asked me, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't we just go to God and ask for forgiveness? And I thought that was a very good question. He's obviously thinking through, through things through very well. But the truth is that there has to be a punishment for sin. And just as today, we all accept that in the UK, if somebody breaks the law of the land, then there has to be a punishment Remember the riots last year? What a terrible time it was. People, the rioters were going around burning down buildings, just completely free with no conscience at all. They were, we saw footage of, um, of shops being burgled and just in broad daylight in front of the, the owner's eyes, just cigarettes being taken off the, off the um, counter. We heard on the news of one lady, one old lady who was asleep in her bed. And when she and she woke up and found her her living her her bedroom filled with rioters how frightening 
must that have been for her? And if the riots hadn't stopped, then we'd live in that kind of society today. But why did the riots stop? Well, I believe they stopped for a number of reasons, but one of them was because the rioters started to understand that there was going to be a punishment for what they were doing, and there was going to be a consequence for, for, for all of the things that they were doing wrong. And can you just imagine, in, if you're in a court one day, and the judge was about to sentence one of those young men, or young women indeed, to three years in prison, and someone jumped up and said, please, judge, can I take their place? That would just be amazing, wouldn't it? And how much more incredible would it have been if the judge said, yes, that's all right, you can take the punishment. How, how amazed would that young man, the, initial, the rioter, be uh, for what had been done for him? He'd have skipped off into the sunset and hopefully forever been grateful, forever been changed for what that person had done to take his place. And in a similar way, we must realize that we have broken God's laws. And for that, there must be a punishment. And when we understand that, we can understand that Jesus took our place, that we deserved a punishment, but in fact, Jesus has taken our place. And when we understand that, the response that we have can only be one of thanks and praise and worship and a desire to know him more, to know him better. Who is this Who is this one who took my place? Who is this one who would stand for me and take the punishment that I deserved? Who is he? I want to know him more. And when we understand that, then we're changed by that understanding and we're thankful. And but, we, but it all starts with realizing that we are sinners and we need a savior. At the beginning of last year, I was teaching the treasure kids. And I know I go on about this a lot. But one of my main goals with teaching the, the youth and also the treasure kids is that they would understand what it means to be a Christian. I don't care if they know how many stones David threw at Goliath. I don't mind about that. But I want them to know I want to deposit something valuable and precious into their lives, that they would know what it means to be a Christian. I want them to stand up in church one day and give their testimony and say, I was far, I was, I'd wandered away from God and something happened and I, oh, and I remembered what my son, old Sunday school teacher used to tell me over and over again. And because of that, I came back to, to be with Jesus. That's what, that's my prayer and my cry. And, so I'm always teaching them, what does it mean to us? I, I open every Treasure Kids meeting with that. What does it mean to be a Christian? And you think by now <laughs> that they would know. <laughs> but it still takes them a while to get there. But they do get there. But the thing is with them, they have so many different influences in their life throughout the week. We have them for perhaps half an hour to bring our influence. But for the rest of the, the week, uh, they're, they're in their homes they have different influences, so, so, but anyway, I keep on persisting. And at the beginning of last year, I opened the Treasure Kids meeting as usual. What does it mean to be a Christian? And we started to talk about sin and what sin meant. And one of them confessed that he habitually lied. It was normal for him. He didn't understand how, how he couldn't lie. So I was just saying, well, you know, that's not great. And it's not the way that you should be living as a Christian. 
and you need to try and change that. Well, this opened a whole can of worms. <laughs> all of them confessed that they all lied all of the time and they couldn't possibly understand how I tried not to lie at all. <laughs> and, that I, and there was a serious thing. And I came away from that meeting quite shocked because they were all coming from Christian homes. Anyway, so throughout the... Um, Throughout the, the year, I kept talking to them about it. How are you getting on? And slowly, slowly, they, they'd said, yeah, I'm not lying anymore. And they'd really got what repentance was. They were real turning away from their sinful ways. And, and by the end of the year, they really were doing quite well. So I was very proud of them. But what they had needed was for me to point out that it wasn't acceptable. Because if I hadn't, they probably would be still doing it. Anyway, I'm very proud of them. They're really doing very well. But one of the problems that we face in this 21st British society is that whilst people mostly recognize that there is a law of the land that, uh, for which, they, and if that's broken, they must face the consequences, people in this, in this country don't really believe that there is a higher law that's been written by Almighty God and which they have broken and which they need to be forgiven for. This society, sadly to say, has turned its back on God. They've made themselves, they've made other things in their lives, other people in their lives, gods. And they have this attitude, which is, how dare God tell me how to live my life? But for them, there is going to be a judgment that they have to face, and they themselves will have to pay for that, unless... By God's grace, they receive Jesus. But the good news is that God is love, and he acts, he's acted out of love for his people. But he is also a righteous God, and nothing can stand in his presence that is not right, perfect, and holy in his sight. Not in our sight, but in his sight. And that would suggest that because we have all sinned, we have no hope of being acceptable to him without Jesus, who was that perfect sacrifice that he has required. And that's why Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. 1 John, 1 John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess our sin, he forgives us and we become acceptable in his sight. We're restored to fellowship with him. We're lovely to him. And his, our names are even written in his book of life. And then we, all, we have all sorts of different problems all the time, do we, don't we? And lots of us actually fail to understand that we're truly forgiven. And I've just got a, a little piece of this book I want to read to you. It's a book called In Christ Jesus by Colin Urquhart. And he says he once met a Christian girl who told him that, sorry, I'll read it as it's written. I once met a Christian girl who told me that she was having great problems believing that God had accepted her. She knew in her head that she was forgiven, but she doubted her salvation. The enemy had kept telling her that she was, that she was no good and that she, she, he, she was just feeling spiritually low all the time. And she was always questioning and fearful. One night she had a dream in which she was shown the book of life. And in this book, 
Every Christian's name is written, those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus and made acceptable in his sight. And the page at which she was looking was divided into two columns. On the left was the list of names of the, of the redeemed, and there she saw her own name. And at the top right-hand column, so on the next column, at the top right hand, there was a, a heading called Percentage of Doubt. And against each name, there was a figure of doubt, 5%, 15%, 10%. When she came to her name, it was 200%. How can I have 200%, she asked in her dream. And she received the pl- reply, no matter how much you doubt, you can't alter the facts. So even though she was so doubtful, her name was still written there. And the following morning she woke a new person because she'd realized she'd had that revelation of the truth that she'd been accepted by God. So it's really important that we treat sin seriously, but also that we understand that God is so merciful and accepts us when we come. I just want to read about the mercy of God in Luke um, 18. The, the, The words should come behind me. Luke 18, 10 to 14. It's about the mercy of God and us understanding that we are sinful. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell, you, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this is how we should come before God as sinners, humbly before him. And thank God he accepts us, accepts us because of what Jesus has done for us. So that's my first point, is that true, uh, sorry, my first truth is that sin is seriously, and we should remember that. We should remember that even though we have been washed in the blood of Jesus, we do have developed sinful ways, and we need to keep an eye out for those. Okay, my second truth is that the past is the past. Another truth that we must understand as Christians is that our past life has been buried, When Jesus Christ died on the cross, we died with him. Our old sinful nature was crucified to set us free to live in the power of a new nature. As Christians, death is not something that's in the future, but it's something that we've already experienced. Colossians 3 verse 3 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And before I came to Christ in the year 2000, my life was filled with things that I was really, really ashamed of. And for a number of years, I carried, I lived with that shame. Um, with the youth group, we did, um, we did a course, and one of the questions that they are, was asked was, how would you feel if all of the things that you'd ever done wrong or thought or said were plastered all around in a room? And that's kind of how I used to go around. Think, I used to think everyone could see me, <laughs> could know what I'd done wrong. I guess I was quite paranoid, really. 
Anyway, so when I first came to this church, I, th- I thought everyone knew everything about me. And, um, and it, was, it wasn't a nice feeling at all. But I loved God, and I continued to press into his presence and his love. And then one day, shortly after Peter and I started dating, which was quite a long time after that, <laughs> um, I referred to some, one evening we were together, and I referred to something in my past. And Peter said, that Jane is dead. So I waited till he left that evening and I started to chew over what he'd said. It was quite a stark statement that Jane is dead. And so I started thinking to myself, does he really, really think that? Does he believe that I'm not that person anymore? And if he believes that, then is that what God really believes? And the Holy Spirit was obviously helping me to understand this truth that I no longer had to battle with the shame of my old life. Because in, ba- in my baptism, the, that person, that old Jane, died. And I was now a new creation. I was pure and spotless before God. He'd forgotten all of my past. But it took one conversation again with somebody who knew the truth, who was willing to to just say it as it is. And I was free from terrible guilt and shame that had bound me for years. What happens in baptism is that our old sinful nature is dead and buried. That's why we are, um, are baptized by full immersion in this church. The water signifies drowning of the old life by faith in Jesus, and the person comes out of the water, cleansed not only from sin, but also from the power of that sin and the power of the old nature. Paul writes in Romans 6, verses 3 to 4, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into, into death in order that, Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In the early church, it was customary for baptism to take place in an open river or stream. And the candidate would go there, remove their old outer garment to signify the taking off of the old sinful nature and all that corruption. Then they would go into the water, they'd be immersed into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The old nature was dead and finished with. And when he came out, he would be given a white garment to signify that he had now put on the new life of Jesus. I was baptized in the river myself. The church that I used to go to, we didn't have a baptism tank. And um, it was... Uh, it was at the same time as a, a Chinese gentleman had also, he'd just given his, his life to Jesus and he was about to go back to, um, to China and uh, he wanted to get baptized before, before he went back, but it was March <laughs> and it was cold. <laughs> and um, so anyway, I really wanted to get baptized, so I said okay, but I was quite concerned that I was going to go into this freezing cold river and come out with a cold or something worse. And so, but my friend got one of these um, thermal blankets, you know, these silver hypothermia blankets. So as soon as I came out, she wrapped me in it, and I 
ran off to, to my car, to my dad's car, and I changed out of these soaking wet clothes. It was quite a feat. But that day was such a precious day to me. And um, it was a day when I declared that Jesus was Lord of my life and that I would spend the rest of my life pursuing him and working to extend his kingdom. But I didn't come into the fullness of what happened that day until a few days later when I was fully taught by Peter and also by the Holy Spirit of the truth of what happened in that special day in my life. Baptism signifies that we've died with Christ and been buried with him. And the truth is that Jesus not only took my sin to the cross, but he also took me, the old Jane, to the cross. And I was crucified there with him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Hallelujah. So the past is the past. And my third and final point is that the, the truth is that God is love. And in one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's most famous prayers recorded in the Bible, he prays for the power of the Spirit to come upon the church in Ephesus. When we think about the power of the Spirit, we think about um, somebody who has a, a power ministry, we think about, oh, when that man prays for people, everyone falls down, there's healings, there's miracles, there's prophecy. But how often we, do we really think about the power of the Spirit when we're thinking about the love of God? But Paul writes here that we need to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit to know and understand the love of Christ, which is beyond knowledge so that we can be filled with, to all the fullness of God. He writes in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy pe people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's very wordy, but basically what... Paul is wanting, he's, he's praying on behalf of others that they would know the love of Christ, that the people, would, the people of the church at Ephesus would live in the fullness of the love of Christ. And too often we get so caught up with striving in our lives. We, we know the things that we do wrong. All of us have hang-ups and things that we get wrong as Christians. But what we do is we come at them from the wrong angle we try to fight this thing that we do wrong. And we simply can't break the cycle. We come to the communion table over and over again with the same thing. We one comes, oh, I struggle with jealousy. Lord, I'm sorry. I struggle. I keep looking at things on the internet. I know I shouldn't. Lord, I'm sorry. Please help me to change. 
and so on and so, so forth. Different things we all struggle with. But these are symptoms, I believe, of a lack of understanding how deeply we are loved by God. If only we or others on our behalf, and I want to tell you this, this, that this week I have spent time on my knees and named some of you before the Father because I count it a privilege and take this very seriously standing here and bringing the word of God. And I've spent time on my knees for you that you would know this love deeper. We all, none of us live in this great fullness that Paul's talking about. Maybe some of us have had a, a revelation of the love of God, but we all need to go deeper into that love. We all need to know him more. So we need to take our cue from Paul and get on the, our knees before the Father and ask for strength from the power, for, for strength, strength and power from the Holy Spirit for our inner being, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. If we could just get hold of, our, of who it is who loves us and how much he loves us. If we could just know how precious we are to him, how tender he is towards us, then we simply wouldn't care about those things that we strive with all of the time. We sort of understand God's love. That's why we're all here today. But I'm talking about, and what I want today is to, that we receive a fuller measure of understanding that love. What Paul is talking here about here is a miracle revelation of how much we're loved by God. Matthew 13, 45 and 46 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. And that's what it's like when we find this treasure, this love of God, all of those things that we used to put, invest in, all of the things that this merchant sold weren't important anymore because he'd found this great prize. And that's what we're like when we found the love of God. Nothing else matters. Only he matters. Only he, we, we just want to give our time to him. We just want to know him more. But it's about searching for him and putting away those old things. Unfortunately, those old things can come back and uh, they can start to take our time again and our energy. And, and, and if that's happened this morning, once you knew great love of God, then, then it's my prayer this morning that you'd have a fresh revelation this morning. And Paul understood that these people weren't going to get that revelation by just talking or working at it. It needed to be a divine revelation to a person's spirit by the Holy Spirit. In pastoral care, I've spent a good number of hours talking to people about the love of God. He loves you. He loves you coming at it from this way, from that way, trying to get some way to people to understand how much God loves them. But if I only had just spent half an hour on my knees on their behalf, asking, praying this prayer for them, I would have got further than I, than I have been able to. Have you ever tried to matchmake two people? You thought, oh, he might get on well with, with her, and, you know, hoping that it might end in marriage. You say to the girl, oh, he's really good at DIY, or... He like, well, what I'd like is he likes clearing up and doing the washing up. <laughs> and you say to the, 
and you say to the boy, oh, she's a really good cook. You really like her. And she's really good looking and she loves the Lord. You try and tell them things that will make them interested in the other person. But actually, they're only going to get they're only going to get on if they, what hap, would hap, have to happen with, they'd have to say, yes, I'd like to meet the other person. And in doing that, they're actually making themselves very vulnerable to, to the other person and if they did meet. And this is kind of the similar thing that I'm talking about with God. If we want to know God more, we have to open ourselves and make ourselves vulnerable to him. And in a few minutes, we're going to, open the altar and we're going to come on our knees before God and just ask that he would just reveal this truth to us more and more that we would just know the love of God in a fuller measure than we do already and this morning we've all spent some time on our appearance and we all do all of the time. I know that some of us have made a, a new commitment this new year to live a more healthy lifestyle. And some of us are eating more vegetables and fruit. And some of us are going to the gym. And, it's, uh, and I'm not criticizing that at all. It's, always, it's good to take care of our body that God's given us. But how long do we actually spend working on the inside of ourselves? How long do we spend on keeping ourselves, our spirit, healthy before God? Because that is actually all that's important to God at the end of the day. And when we find out, when we discover how much he loves us, these sin symptoms that I was talking about before, the things that we struggle with, they just melt away. So I want to ask you this morning a very personal question. Are you sure? Do you know how much Jesus loves you? We all know, John 3.16, that God so loved the world. We know that. But do we know that he loves me? He loves me. Are we living in the freedom of knowing that Almighty God has eyes for only us? I don't know if you ever, ever thought through how much God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit all love one another. It's something that I, I, don't, I, can't, I think someone preached on it once and so I started to think about it. And you can just imagine, you know, God is love and God the Father loves Jesus. It's so hard for Jesus, um, for God to send Jesus to the earth and then when Jesus was on, on the cross the agony of it that he had and when he was separated from God who was always with him their relationship was so close so loving so so incredible you can just could you just imagine what it would be like to be in their presence and how much they would love one another anyway if you never thought about it perhaps there's something that you want to mull over this week but Jesus said in John 15:9 as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And that's just mind-boggling. To me, I could, it, it's too big to think of, really. But we do need to think about that. As the Father has loved Jesus, that is the same way that Jesus loves us. It's just too big, isn't it, to think of? Too big to grasp hold of. And we can't understand it, but we can have a revelation this morning from the Holy Spirit 
if we just cry out and ask him. Now, being a Christian isn't an easy walk. It's something that we talk about a lot at King's Church. We want to be realists. Being a Christian can be hard. And I'd just like to bring an idea this morning that a Christian walk without understanding the love of God could be like being on an aeroplane, knowing that this aeroplane you're on is going to crash one day. And you've got a parachute on. And at some point, someone's going to tell you to jump out of the aeroplane. And you've got, there's, there's two of you. There's you and you've bought a cheap old parachute. You went to the cheap shop. And you thought, oh, this will do. And then your neighbor next to you, they, bought, they went to the really expensive shop. And they, they bought the best parachute that money could buy. They know that their parachute is going to open when they get out of the aeroplane. They're sure they've got quality. But you're not sure. So your ride on that aeroplane is so tense. It's so uncomfortable. It's awful. And I want to suggest that a walk with God without being secure that your parachute is going to open, without being secure in his love, can be like that. Very uncomfortable. Terrifying, in fact. Because you're not sure. But this morning, I want to promise you That if you cry out to God, if you ask him for the revelation of his love, then he will give that to you in some measure. And if you keep on crying out, if you keep on asking him, then the measure of your understanding of his love is going to increase and increase and increase. And we don't even have to think, how can I pray that? Because we have in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, we have a prayer all set out before us just for us to pray. So I commend that to you this week. So I've told you some truths this morning. Jesus Jesus said, I tell you the truth. And today I've told you some truths. I've told you that sin is serious. We need to make ourselves right before God. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, then I suggest that you take your sin seriously and get right with him because there is a punishment that has to be paid for that tell you the truth that your past is your past if you're struggling with that then today remember that in your baptism that old life was buried and you're no longer that person anymore just like I'm no longer the old Jane and this morning I want to commend to you the love of God and and I want to I want to I want you to cry out for yourself but Also, just to to know that I also, for you, have cried out this week that you might have a greater revelation of the love of God. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, We would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.